Hi, and welcome to the Milk Digest podcast. I'm Matt Knight, and today me and my co-host Sarah Alderton are speaking to our current Gold Cup competition winner, Robert Sloan. He's going to be talking us through some of the changes that he and his father Bryce have made to their farming business over the last decade, with the aim of making it more resilient. Now, the last few months have stress-tested all dairy farm businesses. So, Robert, can you kick us off today and tell us how COVID-19 has affected you and your business? So, I suppose we start on a personal level, I suppose. Um, coronavirus came quite close to our door early on. Um, my sister actually had it. Um, she worked for the NHS and she had it really early, um, kind of just at the tail end of March. So, she stays on now our young stock farm along the road. And mum and dad stay stay there as well. And we all have young children and the young children are moving between Gran and Papa and obviously Papa works over here eh, alongside me. So it came quite close to our door at that time. And fortunately enough, it just stayed in my sister's house. Mum and dad stayed clear and myself and my wife Emma stayed clear as well. And we just had found out we were expecting at that time as well. So we've got three boys working for us um, and we had to send them home really um, just to try and protect them um, so there's one of the boys off for a good spell of time um, and the other two boys were just working part-time just to try and cover and it was a week or two right at the start where it was just dad and I really which any dairy farmer can appreciate it's quite hard when you do end up short-staffed and that was maybe where kind of business showed good resilience at that time the system we're running is very automated and if you end up in a situation where you are really short on staff like that then the whole place can still be looked after because we're not 100% reliant on people being there to do the work for us because the machines are doing it. So what sort of automation have you got on your farm? So we're running three Lely robots. Um, so it's an, it was built in a greenfield site on two thousand two thousand and eleven. That that shed's completely automated, which from a labour aspect it makes it a lot more flexible because you're not tied to doing milkings in a parlour each end of the day. In that system, uh, you are busier through the day, um, and you use your time in a different way. But it makes it a lot more flexible when you do come under pressure with staffing issues. The calf shed as well, that's automatic calf feeders in there. It was built one year past May, so it's been running for 14 months. No, it's not, sorry. It's uh, two years past May since we built that. Um, so it's automated as well. And again, it's quite similar. You have to spend time each end of the day feeding the wee young calves, but the actual automated side of it, it's very flexible with time again. So you're busy all the time, but you never have these big, really intense patches of the day where you need a lot of labour because um, we don't have the the big milkings say that a lot of farms have, and that's that's a, that's quite a nice thing uh, when you do come under pressure uh, when labour's short like that. If you hadn't have had the, the that automation in place, what do you think the situation would have been like? Um, I suppose you'd maybe have had to ask people to come and and provide that cover um, and I don't think I would have been overly comfortable asking them to do that. Um, we spend a lot of time trying to look after the people that work for us. We've got three young guys working for us and they've, they've all been here a while now as well, um, considering they're, they're all pretty young. And we do try and spend a lot of time keeping them happy and if you'd started to try and ask them to come, they were a bit um, concerned about coming as well, obviously, when it was on our doorstep like that. So it was quite nice when we could just stand back and allow them 
a wee bit of time to themselves at that time just to be made sure everything was okay at our side. So you never really put them under any risk. So that was quite nice for that point of view. Robert, the the, the three staff back and, you know, full time again? Yeah, I know. They were off. One of them was off until me, mainly for the reason um, just um, his situation at home meant that he couldn't really come. So they were kind of locked in at home. And that was fine. Another one of the boys, um, his mother worked in a care home, so obviously he didn't want him taking it home and she would end up taking it there and stuff like that. So those were the two main boys we're looking after because um, the situation's at home. But the, the, the boy, one of them come back in May and the other two um, come back in a, a bit, three weeks after we knew we were kind of clear. Um, it was that first three weeks was the kind of challenging ones just to make sure that it hadn't passed on to us as much as anything. But thankfully it was kind of contained within my sister's house really um, yeah it sounds um, like it could have been pretty stressful to be fair yeah oh, there's always there's always plenty of stress in a farm it's just a different type of stress but yeah. um, <laughs> when it's, something rises to the top of the stress <laughs> pile right well they always say that it's nice if you can leave your problems in the doorstep but this time the problems are maybe coming over the doorstep which I mean, maybe puts a wee bit more pressure under things but uh, we get through it no too bad to be honest with you um, and that was maybe the first time we've been under that kind of pressure on the system we're running and it kind of reminded you why we're running that system uh, it can go a wee bit like that at Christmas and times of the year when everybody's needing a bit of time to themselves and Quite often, Christmas time it ends up that there's no too many people about, and everybody's on holiday and stuff like that. So, uh, but it's nice when they come back as well because you do need people round about to help, uh, and it just ends up being too much uh, to do yourself, really. So, so, so when you invested in in some of the automation, was did you invest in it with that in mind because you didn't want to be so reliant on staff? Uh, I suppose the main reason we put the robots in, uh, we were really needing to milk the cows three times a day, uh, just the type of cow that we were working with. I think it benefits from milking them three times a day. So the main reason we did it was for that reason. Uh, if we had started milking three times a day in the parlour, that's when you start to get into trouble with labour, I suppose, because you're asking people to come and milk cows for you at four in the morning or nine or ten o'clock at night. Uh, whereas the system we're running, we start at six in the morning, we finish at six at night, and all the people that we work that work for us work within those hours of the day. So you're not asking anybody to come at these really antisocial hours. Yeah. Um, so we tend to the boys tend to work quite big days, maybe four days a week, and then they have three days to themselves really. Um, so they're working big days, but then they get time to themselves, and you'll see that in a lot of dairy farms a wee bit of the problem sometimes arises when you're asking people to do 50 hours a week or whatever but there might be only like four hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon and there's this bit in the middle of the day they don't really have any time you can't really do anything eh, for yourself particularly so I think the boys quite enjoy it because they come six in the morning or seven in the morning and they finish at six at night and they work quite hard for a four days straight sometimes a morning at the weekend or something like that as well but then they do get this two or two and a half three days to themselves every week uh, to do their own things and I think that's why all our staff are quite young and it suits it suits the type of people that we have working for us running it that way. 
Yeah, it seems like you've established a work-life balance for your workforce, which I think is integral on a dairy farm, isn't it? Because like we talked about the stress, the long hours and so on. So if you can't kind of take that out of the equation a bit, I should imagine you've got happy employees, haven't you? It is. Uh, it's, sometimes you think, you know, we need them three, but at the end of the day, there's only ever two of them here. Um, there's always, we never overlap them. So there's... Monday to Friday, there's always two here, and then at weekends, there's always one. But if you actually let's split up all their time, it just means they're only working four and a half days a week, but they're big days, if you know what I mean. So they're all quite different, the three of them. So there's one of the boys quite enjoys working weekends because he's got his own wee contracting business, so he likes to work that through the week. Um, there's another boy, the other two boys, to be honest with you, they're at that age where they're living for the weekends. So they prefer working through the week and they wouldn't like to be here at four o'clock on a Sunday morning or 10 o'clock on a Saturday night because they would rather be in the pub. Um, I'm not that old. I don't remember what that was like myself. So <laughs> it's uh, it's quite nice when you can be flexible with them and I think they can appreciate it as well. Um, and there's other times of the year, like so we're at the silage there the last kind of week or so and it's very intense and they're all working big hours. And if you ask them to step up, then they do step up because I don't ask them too often, and um, because they're, they're quite they're aware that there's times of the year when sometimes you just have to go in there and there's a lot of work to get through, and it's nice when they do all step up to the plate like that, yeah, and get through it. But now that's all done, and there's they're looking for a weekend to themselves and things like that, which is fine because at the end of the day, it's um, nobody likes working every hour of the week um, they just get fed up after a wee while so uh, I think yeah. that's the kind of key to trying to keep everybody happy is trying to be kind of flexible with them as well so yeah Robert have they been with you some time are they all local uh, yeah no they're all local to me either um, well, they're all 23 they're all the same age um, when we came when he was 16 the other one's been here four years and the other one uh, Craig he come out uh university really he got a degree and started with us um year and a half ago um he was I always had two with me and then Craig came as my f- an extra member of staff really when we started having more young stock about the farm we kind of really needing a wee bit of help uh, when we got to that stage um, dad turned 65 there in March as well and he's still very active in the farm but it's quite nice that he doesn't have to be if he doesn't want to be, if you know what I mean. So um, if he wants an afternoon to himself, I've got plenty of people about that it doesn't make too big a difference. Uh, so it's quite nice to maybe let Dad slow down if he wants to, but he's not in his nature really to, to not be here either. But if he wants a wee bit of time to himself or whatever, then that's fine as well. So I get family as well. We have a wee boy that's... Uh, just turned two and have another one in the way so the last kind of year or so I've probably done um, more with him it was, I, I took a Thursday a Thursday off really um, in the winter there and um, I allowed mum to go back to work and I looked after well on a Thursday which will not be so many farmers do that either so, so I, I quite like that it's nice if you can spend a wee bit of time um, with him know that I go away every Thursday with him. I probably just maybe do something on the farm with him but it's nice if you can slow down and spend a wee bit of time with him just on the robots then, because um, you've probably had the, the robotic system in place coming up for 10 years. How's that system coped? Has it creaked? Has a reliability and so on and so forth? No, it's, it's good. I, I probably, we put the robots in at a time 
when the the reliability was questionable with whether that was the right thing to do. We were a wee bit in the fence ourselves. Um, we still kept the parlour running alongside the robots to make sure the reliability was there. Um, nowadays, if you ban robots, you'd probably shut your parlour down and move everything onto robots. That's how the, the confidence is there in them. When we started, we were the very, I think we were the second farm in the Lely, Lely Service Centre that, that looks after our robots. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very, very early days. So we kept the parlour running alongside it. We put in two robots at that time. Um, we were milking about 60 in the parlour just to see how it all went. Um, and through time, we've, I would say they've become more reliable, although the robots have actually been becoming older. Um, we've upgraded them over the years. They've had um, things done to them that yep. were historical problems and stuff like that, and they were, we've always upgraded them and, and done that kind of side. And I would say we probably have less trouble with them now as we did when they were new. And I think anybody that's putting them in now, I think all the problems have been kind of ironed out because there's so many robots going in that they've really proven themselves now. Whereas we, when we started, it was just in the cusp of being the right time to go and it was quite difficult at the start we were, we were mm. the very first of the model of robot that we were working with Lily worked hard and ironed out those problems uh, whereas we put the third robot in about two two and a half years after the first original two and that third robot just went in and go and it's never stopped since so it's just um, it's just getting those problems ironed out to start with it was a trouble a wee bit but um, no, it's it's going well. I think I'm happier with the system now that all the black and whites are in that system. Um, yeah. So historically, we had two robots and then three robots, but we still had the parlour running. Um, and we took the late lactation cows off the robots back to the parlour and then we grazed them, uh, which in theory sounds fine, but the reality is that the cows hated changing system. So they went back to the parlour and they, lose, they lost about 35% of their milk production eh, going back to twice a day. And then we were trying to graze a cow that was too big and heavy for the type of farm that we, ha- that we have. It's quite a heavy farm. Um, so the, the combination of the two things really meant that it wasn't the right thing for us. And at that point in time, the eh, an EB system came in. This was five years ago when the milk price was really really struggling at that time and I quite liked the AB concept I would rather get paid a decent price for a proportion of my litres than get a rubbish price for them all so we were producing all our B litres in the parlour um, so it was probably that that really made the decision for us that we had to stop the, stop the parlour so we downsized the herd, we were milking about 220 altogether at that time, we went from 220 to 180 shut the parlour down and moved everything onto the robots and I would say I'm happier now um, with everything in the robots and the kind of irony is that although we're milking less cows we actually still produce about the same amount of milk as we did before because we're left with a herd that was actually more efficient because we tended to sell the cows that were least efficient and, and the families that were maybe least efficient we took out yonis um, it was actually quite a good exercise to be perfectly honest with you um, was a lot of people are always looking to expand and quite critical of people that don't want to milk a lot of cows but I would say one of the the best things that happened to our business was when we actually slowed down a wee bit and made it more efficient by milking less cows 
uh, which is quite different maybe for a lot of mindsets out there. It's Your attitude changes a wee bit um, when your milk buyer turns around and tells you that he's not wanting what you're actually producing. Um, the fact he was wanting a proportion of it meant that we changed our business to accommodate that. Um, and that was the, the driver behind uh, that point in time. So, so going back to 2011, would you do the same thing again? You know, it's, it sounds like you would in a in a heartbeat going to uh, robots. Uh, no, I definitely would. It's the right thing for for us. Um, if I would say there's a lot of people come and look at the robots over the years, but a lot of people through the farm, and I would say that the first question you ask is you should ask yourself really: Do you do you enjoy milking cows? If you enjoy milking cows and you enjoy working with cows, then you'll really enjoy robots because the cows really like that system. Uh, but you have to spend a lot of time looking after your cows and managing your cows to make the most of that type of system. If you don't like standing in the parlour and you don't enjoy working with your cows, the worst thing you could probably do is put in robots. I would say that's the general rule in making a decision if you want to go down that road or no. I'm not a particularly techie person, but we could see very quickly that the, road, the cows were very happy in that system, so it kind of made you figure everything out. And to be honest with you, the cows will learn the system quicker than what the people do. Um, so um, I think the fact the cows are so happy in the system drives you to get everything round about it right. So you spend a lot of time being very proactive with health and a lot of those kind of things, the day-to-day management of the herd, because if you have cows that are lame or any any reason that they couldn't come to the robot, then that's what makes that system a lot of work. So you've got to spend a lot of time making sure you don't have lame cows in the first place and you don't have cows that are known calf and they're stale. So you spend a lot of time managing your cows to make the system work properly. Did you get outside help, Robert, when you were thinking, okay, what way do I go? Do I reduce cows or what do I do? Did you did you have a consultant that helped talk you through costs or like what was the process there? No, no, really, no. I think I just kind of made the decision ourselves because we were getting paid a, a decent eight litre price. We had just expanded with been the third robot, so it was a historical AB system. Um, so we had a lot of B litres. Um, so we knew ourselves that you can't produce milk at, at the prices that the B litres were at at that time. That was when it was, it was very worse and it was it was struggling to get into double figures at the B price at that moment in time. Um, so you knew yourself that there was an element of the business that was losing money for you. So rather than just stick your head in the sand, we, we just slowed down a wee bit. So it was it was a good chance to tidy everything up. We sold some cows, we sold some in-calf heifers, and you weren't getting a lot for them, but it was better than just sticking your head in the sand and, and ploughing on, because if you're producing a lot of bee litres at an over-a-good price, then your business isn't long and going back in reverse. Um, so the fact we're selling those cattle and we're left with a proportion of our milk that we're getting a decent enough price for, I mean that the business could trade water through that time, and we didn't manage, we didn't go into reverse, uh, which becomes often easily easy to do once you get once you get a bad bee a, a bad bee liter price. I mean, what other um, aspects of the business have you or, or done to make the your business more resilient? Because you've got also a Jersey herd as well, haven't you? Yeah, so I think. 
I, I suppose slowing down the, the black and white price, like we're milk buyer, he, he treated everybody the same, so we all had the same kind of terms. We were a wee bit unfortunate that we had just expanded the herd. Um, so he knew we were kind of on, on the ropes a wee bit. They just didn't suit us. Like if you hadn't expanded and you were producing the same as you were the year before, the bee thing didn't really bother you too much. But we had obviously just expanded the herd. It was just bad timing. The fact that we went out there and slowed down and, and we were trying to help them and they come back and probably helped us a wee bit by letting us put the parlour. We switched, the parlour was shut down for about four and a half months and then we started it back up and put a jersey herd on it under a completely different milk contract but still with Graham. So it's in a specialist jersey milk contract. So I think the fact that we were supportive of a milk buyer by slowing down gave us the opportunity um, of going down a slightly different avenue with bringing the jerseys in um, and I think working with a milk buyer and being proactive about it rather than just sticking your head in the sand and saying you want to produce what you want to produce was the thing that gave us that opportunity so the, the existing milking parlour it was a good parlour that's in there it's a 16-16 was failure we did it in 2000 and one um, so the parlour was about 15 16 years old at that time it was a good parlour um, the the old shed was re-roofed um, it was a good old shed but the cubicles were a wee bit small for our Holsteins so the probably the cubicles actually suit the jerseys better anyway so all we really had to do was make the parlour a wee bit smaller and um, we moved the mangers off the wall and just made it a wee bit shorter to accommodate the jerseys and then we started milking them in there at that time, and that was just uh, it's diversification, is that the trendy name for it? But it was just going <laughs> down an avenue or something that we were used to used to doing, because uh, we'd, we'd always milk cows and we enjoyed doing it, so rather than investing money into something like something completely different, it was a way of maybe doing something a wee bit different that was going to strengthen the business, and that was it was a good move. It's, uh, it's, it's been a it makes it a wee bit more complicated because we're really running two separate herds within the same farm. So we've got the herd of black and whites and the robots and then we've got a herd of jerseys and the, the existing parlour system and they're run completely separate. So it's divided with labour and stuff like that as well. But there's not too many though. So that we're only milking 60 and the milking takes an hour for one man um, and everybody's always quite keen to milk them because it's such a nice milking. It's quite easy. Um, the jerseys are quite nice to work with. The bonus with you. It was a lot of work at the start to get it established, but we've been under, we've been at it now for um, that'll be four years past me, five years past me. Time has passed, but um, they've been here a wee while now, and it's uh, it's just brought something a wee bit different to the farm. And do you think that's helped with the resilience then? Because not I guess not all your eggs are in one basket. Yeah, it does, because the black and white price tends to fluctuate, whereas the jersey price, the way it's set up, there's 12 producers in Scotland supplying Grahams, there was 12, there's maybe 13 or 14 now, um, supplying Grahams on a jersey contract, and the way it's set up is we get paid um, up to a, a volume, and if we produce any more than that volume on a daily basis, we get paid in a, a black and white price. So it's actually quite a, a really simplistic way of stopping people overproducing because all it would take is one of the one of the twelve producers to put on another hundred jerseys and the whole thing would unravel for everybody else. Um, so the fact that we've all got this kind of production cap means that they've managed to sustain the milk price all the way through since we started. So although the black and whites are always in that kind of upsy downsy 
the jerseys have actually sat quite steady, which at the end of the day, if you've got a steady milk price, you can plan for things. Whereas when the milk price is always fluctuating, it's very difficult to manage your business, manage cash flow because you have such swings in your cash flow from one year to the next, just depending on where the milk job is. And these, these fluctuations seem to be coming fairly regularly every two or three years now, one way or the other. And that's that's quite challenging for any business when you're trying to trying to grow your business or whatever you're trying to do with your own business. Absolutely. And in terms of young stock sales, is that another avenue that you've expanded? Yeah, so the I suppose that's what I was saying earlier about the, the, the kind of extra staff having to come on board. When the jerseys came, we would always had worked with sex semen on a black and white young stock. We'd always been on that road, but we'd probably never went down too far down the road of using it and we're black and white cows. Uh, when the jerseys came, um, the worst thing you can ever have is a jersey bull calf. Um, we've never done euthanasia of bull calves because it just doesn't fit ethically with us. Um, we don't like giving birth, like a cow giving birth and then you put it down. It just doesn't sit with us. So when the jerseys came along and if you got a jersey bull calf, there's nothing more soul-destroying because there really isn't many options for a jersey bull calf. Um, so we went completely sex semen over the jersey milking herd and the jersey young stock and then we're sweeping with, with beef. Um, and it gave us probably the confidence to go that way with the black and white cows as well. So we're using sex semen over the jerseys, over all the young stock and over about 90% of the the black and white milking herd be about ten percent conventional on some of the older cows. Which, if we get a bull calf, it's not the worst thing because they're usually well enough bred that we can keep them as uh, service bulls. Um, so we don't have very many bull calves about us at all anymore. But the thing about doing all that was that over the last couple of years, we've put we're young stocks. We've got some really big numbers of young stock now. We're milking about 250 cows altogether, but we're carrying about just short of 400 young stock. And there's only two, there's only nine or ten of them over two years old. So it's not as if we've got a lot of old heifers about us. It's just the sheer volume of heifers we've got coming behind us. Uh, and it does put a lot of pressure because you're having to we probably spend more time managing young stock than we do cows now. That's why we need a lot of people around about us to help with that but it means we've got a lot of cattle for sale all the time. So it equated to about 6.7 pence per litre in cattle sales last year uh, between selling beef animals or surplus heifers or batches of young cows or batches in calf heifers, just whatever people are kind of looking for. We always have an awful lot of cattle to sell, which is quite nice. It makes up for when the milk price is struggling a wee bit. It kind of allows the business to stand still or if the milk price is better, it's usually the money we're making off of cattle sales. So it allows us to reinvest in the business and put up new sheds or make sheds a wee bit better or whatever, whatever it is that's needing to be spent in the farm. So it's a, it's a really important part of our business, the young stock side of it now. And is that mostly sales directly off farm or are you selling through auction? So it lasts probably two years, mainly um, just farm to farm, to be honest with you. Um, we're quite fortunate, very fortunate up here. We're away at the road of TB. Um, be very challenging if you were in the middle of that, uh, in the middle of TB. And I can appreciate how hard that is for a lot of people. So we're very fortunate. Uh, the part of the world we're in, we don't have that same issue. And there's a lot of the farms round about us can appreciate that as well. So they're quite keen to buy from us because they're no risking bringing anything in either. Farms in Scotland quite like to source locally so that they don't 
buy in problems, if you know what I mean, to their own farms. So there's a, it's quite a lot of flying herds um, uh, round about us and things like that as well. And to be honest, historically, when we were selling surplus heifers, it was quite difficult because we were training heifers and robots and then there wasn't so many people with robots to buy them. Um, and they would go back to a parlour system and they would be a wee bit unsettled uh, getting back to a parlour system. Whereas the last probably 18 months has been, there's has been an awful lot more people buying robots and most of the heifers that actually leave the farm now are robot trained heifers that are going to other robot farms. And know that we're getting any more money for them, but it makes it an awful lot easier for the people that are buying them if they can buy robot-trained heifers. I mean, anything else that you're doing, Robert, that's helping make your business more sustainable going forward? The, the beef side, it's quite a big part of our business as well now. Historically, we always, we always sold them store, but um, store price was under a bit of pressure through the winter. The finishing price wasn't very clever either, so we, we started actually... Um, taking them all the way through there so we're, we're selling a lot of cattle just right now um, finished eh, which is the first time I've done that for a long time and is that is that direct to um the, to the processor or are you going through market for that uh, yeah it's direct to direct to processor um the jerseys were really the driver to to do something different the jerseys are they're funny wee things are they're really Good calves, confirmation-wise, are killing out better than the beef bred black and white ones, but they are smaller. Um, so it probably nobody particularly wants to buy them store because they're quite small. But when you actually get them finished, they're still quite small, but they're off a well. They're all really good confirmations. They're killing out a wee bit lighter, but they're actually killing out a grade or two higher. Um, so there's no as big a difference in them as you think there might be. Um, so probably black and white bred beef cattle you'll be kind of averaging about 150 more than what you are for the jersey bred cattle so um, it's just quite nice when um, like you said if you're using sex semen and everything it's nice if you can maybe switch to beef and you still end up with a product that's sellable um, and you sign you can make money out of uh, rather than a jersey bull calf which is obviously a kind of non-starter and I mean, obviously, the Gold Cups being something you're the you know the current winner of this year's um, or the 2019 Gold Cup. I mean, what's that done to your business and for workers on your farm? Ah, it's just I don't know. It's uh, I suppose it's, it's it's what you can dream about. It's sitting and I'm I'm quite a a driven person. I always have been that way. I always need a goal, and I set myself a goal. I, winning the Gold Cup by the time I was 40, when I was pretty young. <laughs> I always said I wanted to try and have a, a go at it, never thinking I would maybe manage it. Um, it meant an awful lot because it's, it's such a historical competition. It's in its 100th year this year. Um, so it's always been something that everybody's always known about. Um, it's just nice to, see, to have your name on it at the end of the day. I think that's it's just nice to get the recognition and... There's so many different types of farming businesses out there nowadays and in different ways of doing things and different sizes and scales. And I thought it was really quite nice last year when all the finalists were completely different. And I'm quite sure every one of them was a winner in their own right. And it would be very difficult to compare those businesses. And I thought it was really nice when, when, we, when we managed to get it. And it just all the hard work over the last 15 and 20, 20 years of building a business to where it is today. And, 
dad, a lot of folk are saying they're quite young to win it, but I think I'm probably the best age to win it because dad turned 65 there and, and I'm getting nearer 40. Um, and I suppose the two years I've worked together for the last 20 years to get to the business where it is, and I think it probably came at just the right time for us. So it meant an awful lot to both of us because it's as much it's as much dad as it is me, certainly. Um, so it was nice to be able to do it as a team over all those years. And the kickback in the boys is just it just puts a spring in everybody's step. It's nice to get that kind of recognition because it's 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 hard work as you can appreciate, and you get your problems the same as everybody else gets. But um, it's just how you deal with those problems and try and keep positive and try and keep moving forward. So, yeah, Robert, it's it's lovely to hear you talk about the passion for the Gold Cup and the recognition and so on. And and obviously, it was thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly um, deserved uh, winner. Um, in yourself and the family um what about the entry process because it you know i'm not sure if all our listeners will know the kind of stringent process it goes through where there's an application form and then all applicants are sift and then there's a, a short uh, list of six farmers and then the judges come on farm and so on was was it pain free or was it another stressful for you and you know how how did you view all that no, not at all. No, I think I think that's maybe the nice thing about the competition. Like, I think if you actually look at the entry form and you look at how it is very in depth, it's not an entry form you're going to fill in in one night before the before the deadline. It does take a wee bit of time just to think it through and get everything organised. But I think the fact that the competition looks at your whole business and it's not just about numbers in certain aspects of your business. It's looking at it right across the board in such a depth. I think that's what maybe makes winning it the nicest thing because it is just so in-depth as to financially how strong your business is, ethically how strong your business is, um, just your own attitude towards public and a lot of different things. I think that's the how broad-based it is makes winning it the best thing because it's not just one area of your business it's such a broad based competition but it has to be broad based like that so it does recognize like, the, the whole farming system that whoever wins it is, is running you're dead right it's all inclusive that's only happened in the in the last few years really and um, you know all for the better of it and and talk us through the day of when you won it which going back was the 5th of february this year so it was um <laughs> Did you, you had to go all the way down to Stoneley. Well, to, 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 to be honest with you, we weren't feeling very optimistic about it because we hadn't heard a peep. We heard absolutely nothing about it. So we, we thought, well, if, we, if we're in for a shout, we'd maybe a phone just to make sure we we're coming or, yeah. or make sure we had a hotel or something like that. So we, we just yeah. kind of turned up in the day thinking, we don't even know if we're here or not here kind of thing. So we wish just for a extra. So... I think it was, it was certainly called we're bluffing that one, um, but I had absolutely no, no, no idea at all. Because we turned up maybe 10 minutes before the, the results and everybody was there and it was really quite a buzz about the place to be honest with you. And, and I was like, oh, we must not be in with this at all because they don't even care if we're here or not or anything. But uh, no, it was, it, was, it, was quite, it was quite a buzz when we... We managed to managed to get it. It's like a once in a lifetime thing, that. So, yeah, and then the the feedback, the, the feedback we got off a lot of our friends and stuff like that. It's just it's, it's been really humbling, actually. Um, it was it was really nice. And to be honest with you, I think the the nicest comment actually we we got was that the judges were all there and 
and um, obviously the we managed to do, we managed to win it and Simon Bugler who was a past winner and I've offered respect for the stuff that Simon's done said that the, the, one of the reasons we won it was because of the way the cows looked and I think that's one of the, the nicest comments we got um, right through because it's probably the thing that's most important to us is, is the way the cows look when people are on the farm so besides all the numbers and all the costings and all the different processes are um, what's involved in the Gold Cup, I think that was maybe the comment that stuck out the most on the day, and it did mean an awful lot to us all. It was it was, it was, was a really nice day, yeah, it was. It's a kind of once-in-a-lifetime that will kind of live with you forever. So um, Yeah, very much. I mean, the crowd around the NMR stand when it was um, announced was, was quite a throng, to be honest, wasn't it? You know, there's quite a lot of people around there craning the necks, jumping up. You know, standing on chairs to, just to see who it was going to be, and so on. So, um, no, and then, and then it was the cream awards in the evening as well, wasn't it? So I know that you went along to those as well. So uh, it was a lot easier to go along that night and just enjoy it because it was. Uh, I was uh, you got a wee bit of recognition at the start, and that was lovely. But it was nice just to sit back and then it felt like you know you were kind of celebrating uh, because uh, kind of uh, it was all done by that time, and it was just nice to sit back and enjoy a really good night like that. It was. It was Again, fully deserved, and I hope you. I hope you did enjoy yourself. Um, so we obviously had to postpone the um, the Gold Cup Farm walk with yourself because we did have that scheduled in for the seventh of July, I think it was, and we've put that back to April now, haven't we? So I know the team at RABDF are, are really looking forward to coming up and and um, uh, being their part and helping you host that farm walk. So are you excited about that day? I know, as I certainly gave us plenty of time to get all the steam cleaning done, if nothing else. <laughs> so, uh, hopefully, we'll just need to cross my fingers and hope it happens. Uh, I suppose Agri Scott was the last event of this year and it got cancelled yesterday. Um, so, I suppose the next thing really on the calendar, near enough, is the open day. Um, so, I just fingers crossed that we can do it but it was nice to get the opportunity because to be honest I thought if we can't have it within this year then probably our chance will go past so it was really nice when our ABDF come back and gave us the opportunity to host it and um, probably a time of year that suits us anyway it's just before um, things get busy it's just kind of later on in the spring all the work should be done hopefully so you touched upon the 100th year at the beginning of this uh, podcast 100th year of the gold cup so fingers crossed and um, restrictions pending that that we can have your farm walk in april and then the, whoever is crown gold cup winner next february that they'll have their farm walk as well so two two in one year to celebrate the 100th year it's um i think it'll be a really nice thing to do uh, and it's definitely it's definitely anybody that's thinking about having a go to have a go to if you're going to win it in the 100th year what an accolade uh, that would be i i would like to hope that I suppose I've been writing in British Dairy for two or three months and I hope that other people can relate to our business as well. It's been interesting the last few years. It's been quite big herds that have been winning it and they're very admirable um, to, to look at those herds and read about them. But it was quite difficult for like, me personally to relate to the sizes of those herds because that's probably something that I would never really um, manage to grow to be, to be in that size. and. I just hope maybe a lot of folk out there can maybe relate to the type of farm that we are and think that they could do it too because there's a lot of people out there I'm not doing too much different for anybody else particularly I wouldn't say and it's, there's a lot of really good farmers out there and if you get the chance to enter it then just go for it because it, 
it's surprising. It's it surprised us anyway, and we're just it was really nice to get uh, acknowledged with it certainly, and it's made, it means an awful lot to us. And so anybody that's thinking about having a go, go for it. You never know unless you try. Well, I hope you've enjoyed today's show. I must thank Robert for taking the time to talk to us as well. It's been fascinating to hear how he's made significant changes to the business to make it more resilient, but also to future-proof it. The use of robots is allowing Robert and his team to achieve a work-life balance that many would dream of. But as he did say, it takes careful management and it doesn't actually save time, it just frees time up. Having different revenue streams such as the Jersey Herd, Young Stock Sales and Finishing Dairy Beef Calves is helping Robert's business stay afloat during the hard times and lets him reinvest during the good times. Now it's clear from what Robert's told us today why he was crowned a 2019 NMR RABDF Gold Cup winner. He's shown that it's not just about the size of your herd that determines if you're successful or not, it's the, having a good business model and the attention to detail within it. Now, the deadline for entering this year's Gold Cup competition is at the end of this month. And if there's one year to be crowned Gold Cup winner, then it's surely the year that we celebrate its 100th year. Entry forms can be downloaded from the RABDF website, which is www.rabdf.co.uk. And as you've heard it from Robert today, uh, if you're thinking of entering, just do it. Lastly, we do have um, some other episodes of podcasts available as well. So just go to the RABDF website. But if you can't find them there, you can search within your favorite podcast provider. Just search for the Milk Digest. Um, on that note, thanks to Robert and to my co-host, Sarah. And thank you for listening. Stay safe.